Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Good. So good to see you here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to get to say hi afterwards and get to know who you and your family are. We love this church so much, and we're so uh, honored to be able to, to gather together and worship the Lord. Um, we are going to be wrapping up a series today uh, uh, on the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. So the, for the last few weeks, we have been talking about these two books of the Bible, and we've been talking about rebuilding what it means to rebuild something in your life. And we've been looking through this story, this really important story that is uh, about the history of the people of Israel in the Bible. After they've been carried away into exile, taken away from their homes, taken away from their city, and they've lived in this foreign country, and their homeland, their city, their homes have been destroyed. The temple has been knocked down and broken. The city walls have been burned to the ground. And their whole lives had been destroyed. But God still had a plan for them. And so 70 years after that uh, destruction of Jerusalem had happened, the Lord aligned circumstances so the people get to come back to Jerusalem. They get to come back to the city. And they come there and they begin to reestablish their lives there. And it is a hard and beautiful story about the joys and challenges of building something new after something has been broken down. And I love that this story is in scripture to guide us when we are in seasons of rebuilding. And whether you are rebuilding something in your life because it's for a great reason, you're just in a new season and new things have happened, and, and even though it's a good thing you're having to kind of restart and rebuild, that still can be challenging. Or whether you're rebuilding because something in your life has been broken down and destroyed. And you are rebuilding your life brick by brick. We can know today that God cares about helping you rebuild your life. And if that's the only thing that you hear from me today, I hope that you hear that. God cares about the rebuilding of your life. He cares about that. He knows that it's hard. And he wants to help you brick by brick by brick, no matter how long it takes, rebuild your life and he cares about that. So today we're going to look at a really important way that God helps each and every one of us rebuild. And it is this, community. We're going to talk today about community. Oftentimes God helps us rebuild by bringing other people into our lives to help us in seasons of rebuilding. And I want to look at how important community is in this story of Ezra and Nehemiah and how important it is in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and how by leaning on each other, they were able to rebuild their lives. So we're gonna start in Nehemiah 2. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. It's a little before Psalms, which is kind of halfway through the Old Testament if you're looking to find where that is. Nehemiah chapter two. Now Nehemiah was a Jewish man and he was one of the people who had been exiled to Babylon. And now he'd been living in Babylon and he had actually gained status and had become the cupbearer of the king, which was a pretty high status job at that point. And he has heard from his relative and his family that have already gone back to Jerusalem that the city is still a mess. He asks about how are they doing there? I know some of the, some of the they kind of left in waves and so some of the people had already gone, the temple had been rebuilt. And so he was asking some of his family, how are things going? How's the rebuilding going? And he hears word that they're still in trouble that the city is still a mess. He has heard specifically that the walls of the city are still 
in ruins and still rubble. Now, this was really important because in that time, the walls of the city are what protected you. You were vulnerable without walls. It was how they kept the people in. It was how they kept the, the invaders out. It was how you knew that this city was legitimate and structured. And so to not have the walls rebuilt was a shameful thing to the people of Israel. And when he heard about this, he mourned and he grieved and he was so sad. And he couldn't stop thinking about the fact that the walls were still torn down in his homeland and his city. And so he talks to the king about it. And the king grants him permission to travel back to Jerusalem with the mission to rebuild the walls of the city. And not only does he do that, he, the king provides provisions for him to be able to do that. And so in Nehemiah 2, chapter 11, here is this moment when he has left Babylon, gone back to Jerusalem, and gets there and sees the state of the city that he loves. So here's what it says in Nehemiah 2. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey that I was riding. And after dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So, though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall, before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. The city officials did not know that I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now... I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. So let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Here's the first thing I want us to look at today. You cannot rebuild alone. You cannot rebuild alone. I don't care if you are rebuilding the smallest part of your life or rebuilding an entire city. You cannot rebuild alone. I want you to notice the progression of the vision for rebuilding the wall in Nehemiah's heart. First, he becomes aware of this issue, right? He hears about the city walls, and it breaks his heart, so he begins to pray. And he begins to cry out to God about this thing that he has seen and that has bothered him. And then he tells one person. He tells the king. And through that conversation with one person, a vision is dropped into his heart. And he starts thinking about, you know what? I think, I think I should go back and help rebuild this. So through the conversation with one person, he gains the support. And not only does the king support him verbally, he then gives him the beginnings of how to start this. 
So the king provides him with uh, timber. He provides him with resources. He also gives him letters to be able to get to back to the people and to explain that he now has permission from the king to rebuild this wall. But then he arrives in this city, and this dream and vision of rebuilding remains small. At this point, it's just between a handful of people, and it's mostly just in his heart, right? And it remains small. So he goes out at night. And he goes out when no one else can see him. He doesn't want anyone to know quite yet what is still growing in his heart. And he inspects the walls and he picks them up brick by brick. He still hasn't told anybody because he's still letting this dream germinate in his heart. You notice he said, I hadn't told anyone the plans that God had put in my heart. He was still in a season where him and God were working this thing out. And this is the beginning of rebuilding for all of us, right? Something's going on. The Lord, uh, there's a need or there's something that you see ahead or there's a problem that you're trying to figure out. And so you cry out to God and he begins to stir something in your heart and you begin to think about it. And and maybe then you tell one person, maybe you tell your spouse or your best friend or another family member, you begin to tell them, but it's still really small and it's in this germination season. But then came the moment When the vision of rebuilding moved from this small thing between Nehemiah, the Lord, and a really small group of friends to something external, he had to go to the community, he had to go to the leaders, he had to go to the people and say, okay, let me just tell you what's been growing inside of me. And he expressed what he wanted to see happen. And their response was awesome. Their response at Nehemiah 2.18 was, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And it says, so they, all of them, collectively began the good work. And there is a progression like this in every single one of our lives. But there will come a time when the progression of the dream that God puts in your heart will require you to include other people. And maybe you're in those early stages and you're just thinking about it and praying about it. Maybe you're a little deeper like Nehemiah and a few people know. But now there comes a moment when you have to invite others into the process because you cannot build alone. And here's how I want to challenge you today because I think this is the place that a lot of people get stuck. You have this vision. You've got some plans. You're even deeply moved by the next thing that God wants to rebuild in your life, but you refuse to ask people to help you rebuild. It's all really clear in your head. You can see it. You might have even told a couple people, but you can't quite move into the execution stage of the rebuilding because you're not open to the vulnerability that comes with inviting others to help you build. You ever been in that moment where you're going to tell somebody what your dream is? And you're literally like, oh, please be nice, please be nice, please be nice, right? Because it already feels fragile and tenuous. And the last thing you want is to somebody go, well, that's dumb. That'll never happen. Or maybe you have done that. And the response of other people has been anything less than encouraging. And so now you're at the point where you're like, okay, and you have been ruminating on this dream forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And you can't move to the next step. But I'm here to tell you today that rebuilding will not happen until you move to the next step and invite others into the process. Now, maybe you, it's for a number of different reasons that you have a hard time inviting others in. Maybe you're still unsure about it and you're just feel a little fearful about, well, what if this thing crashes and burns? What if I tell everybody and then I fail at it, right? 
I remember when we told people, we're going to plant a church, and we kept going, I hope someone comes. I hope someone comes. We're going to look real dumb if we have a service, and it's just my mom, right? Like, <laughs> it's a little vulnerable to kind of let people into the vision that you have, right? It can be fearful. Sometimes you're indecisive, and you keep going back and forth. Well, maybe it's this. Well, maybe it's that. Well, yes, it is. And every day feels a little different, and you can't quite... Decide, yes, this is the plan. This is what I want to do. And so you think, I'm just not going to say anything. Or maybe some of you are just fiercely independent, and you just don't like to ask anyone for help. I have four children, and three of my four, let me tell you, their very first words, I think, were pretty close to the first words were, I do it myself. Got any I do it myself people out here? Yeah, I know. I know you do. Some of you are elbowing your spouse, right? Sometimes we just think, I'm going to just do it alone. I'm going to rebuild it alone. And some of you have an I do it myself tendency, and so you're stuck. Because the reality is you can't do it yourself. It's too big. It's too big, and it's never meant to just be about you. And so you have to get to the point where you are willing to open up the dreams that God has given you of rebuilding to other people. And so whatever the reason, today could I challenge you to take the next step in allowing other people to help you build what God has put in your heart. I want to challenge you this week to tell somebody who isn't in your inner circle, somebody who hasn't known about it yet, about the plans that God has put on your heart. Take another step in acting upon what God has put in your heart. If you have been stuck in that, in that phase, Act, uh, take actual steps forward this week in inviting other people into the dream and vision because until you do, you will remain stuck because you cannot build alone. So Nehemiah goes to the leaders of the city and he tells them what God has put on his heart and they are all inspired to jump in and help rebuild the walls. And now the work begins. So we're going to look at Nehemiah 3, so the next chapter over. Now, honestly, this is one of those chapters that is a beast to read. Um, it's a whole bunch of names, and it goes on and on and on. So if you're like me, you kind of start maybe one or two and verses, and then you're like, oh, never mind. Let's skip to four, right? Anybody else do that? Like, this is terrible. I don't want to read this. But let me tell you, there's some good stuff in there. And so today we're going to just kind of look at a couple portions. I'm only going to read a little bit because yesterday I tried to read all of them and it was a disaster. It was such a disaster. And if I try today, I don't think Steve Maxwell will recover. He laughed so hard at me last night. So we're going to just read a couple verses and then, and then I'm going to kind of show you a map and describe to you what this all is talking about. So verse 1 says, Then Elishib, the high priest and the other priests, started to rebuild at the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Zakur, son of Imri. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassana, and they laid the beams, set up its doors, and installed its boats, bolts and bars. I'm going to stop there. But it goes on for about 20 verses. 20 verses of, and then... And then, and then, here's what they built, here's who did it, and here's what they built. So literally, I will keep you from me trying to read all the Hebrew. But here's what I want to show you. I'm going to show you a map instead. This is, <laughs> this is Nehemiah 3, okay? This is essentially what it is. This is the gate, or the uh, city walls that were rebuilt. And every name there lists 
the people who built that portion of the gate, because this is how they did it. They didn't all just like go, okay, we're all gonna go to one section and build this together, then we're gonna keep going. What they did was they divided the entire wall between groups of people. So Nehemiah 3, verse one is starting up at the sheep gate, what I just read you. And then every verse takes us around through the bottom and all the way around and is showing us what portion those people built. And I want you to see how at the same time, all these different groups of people were taking a different section and rebuilding at the same time. It's actually really cool. It's 42 different groups of people. And they rebuilt this thing in 52 days. Okay, I want you to think about that. With the technology and the tools and what they had to work with and the rubble that was already there that they had to clear out and it had been burned to the ground. In 52 days, they rebuilt the walls of this city. Everyone came together to do their part. And when everyone did their part, the wall was rebuilt. Let's keep this up there while I kind of describe some of the people who helped rebuild the walls. Because it wasn't just those who had the gift of building. You could look at that and go, oh, that's awesome. They had a bunch of carpenters. They had a bunch of masonry people. That's probably not what you call them, but <laughs> masonry people. No, it was everybody. Everybody. Here's, here's a few of the people who worked on the wall. Verse 1 tells us that the priests worked. And there are other places you can see that the priests were assigned different parts. There were uh, other leaders. It said that some of the political leaders, you can read it and see like this person who was the governor over this part, he came and he got out his shovel and he started rebuilding. The Levites, who were the part of working in the temple, they came and they were building. Verse 2 tells us that people from Jericho, which means they weren't people who lived inside the city walls. They were people who lived further away. They traveled in every day and they helped rebuild a portion of the wall. Verse 5 shows us that the people of Tekoa, which is a city south of Jerusalem, kind of by Bethlehem, that they came and helped even though their leaders said, we don't want anything to do with your rebuilding. The leaders of that city said, ah, we don't think we want to help. But the people caught the vision. And so they came and helped. And you can see they helped rebuild two different portions of the area. Verse 8 shows us, this is my favorite. Verse 8 shows us that a goldsmith and a perfume maker worked on a section of the wall. I thought that's amazing. They didn't disqualify themselves because it wasn't the type of work they were accustomed to. They just said, well, I make perfume, but I can help, right? I can pick up a rock and I can move it over. I just love that there were people who it wasn't even their gift set, but they said, hey, I'm in. If this is what we're doing, put me to work and I will jump in and help. Verse 12 shows us a man named Shalom who worked alongside of his daughters. That's probably one of my favorite things. That not only did he work, but he was like, come on, girls, let's go. And in a time where daughters didn't build walls, these girls jumped in and said, hey, we're going to help. Our whole family is going to get involved and we're going to rebuild. And it goes on and on describing who built each section of the wall. And it takes us around in a circle, and we can see every name is recorded, and every section is identified. And I find it fascinating that in the whole of scripture that has been handed down, it was important enough for God to name the perfume maker who built a few bricks. Because God cares about us building together. He cares about us working together. I love, I think about this sometimes when I look at this building because 
we actually had to kind of rebuild this building. When we bought it, it was in a bit of a state of disrepair. And because we did that, I can walk around and go, well, here's the tile that Jeff laid. Here is the paint. Uh, I remember when Ryan Jackson painted that wall. I remember when they did that. I remember when that drywall went up, and I remember who did it. I can remember everybody who put their hands to a tool and helped us rebuild this building. And that's exactly what they're talking about here. And this is important because building requires that everyone does their part. Building requires that everyone does their part. If you hear people talk about Nehemiah, they'll say, who's Nehemiah? Well, he's the guy that rebuilt the wall. Nehemiah didn't rebuild the wall. Nehemiah had the vision. He shared it with the people. And the people rebuilt the wall. And they rebuilt it together by everybody doing what little part they could do, right? It was built by all of them working together. And it is the same with the kingdom of God. Let's start at the 30,000-foot view on this and recognize that we are here on this earth to build the kingdom of God on this earth, to do his work, to show the love of Christ to the world, and to share the hope of salvation. But it only works if each one of us does our part, right? It isn't just the job of the pastors or the professionals to go and to share the love of God, to build the kingdom of God. No, you have a little corner of the wall that is yours, where God has put you at your job or your neighborhood or in your family. You have a little section that has your name written by it, and you have been put there by God to do your part to build the kingdom of God, to love the people there, to share who Christ is, to meet the needs of the people in our communities. And there are a lot of Christians out there who love Jesus and who are content to just hold on to their own faith and yet not participate one bit in building the kingdom of God. And I'm here today to tell you that it doesn't work like that. That's not how the kingdom of God works. Each one of us has a part to play in building the kingdom of God. And it doesn't work if you just sit back and don't help build. You are to serve the world by sharing the gospel, by caring for the poor, the orphan, and the widow, by demonstrating the love of God to the hurting world around us. Each of us has a part to play in building the kingdom of God because building requires that everyone do their part. So that's the big point of view, but let's bring it down even to the smallest, which is this church, Homestead Community Church. Let's talk about this community we need you to participate in the building of God's kingdom here in this church. The only way that this works is if we all jump in and do our part to build God's kingdom. We say a lot of times that Homestead is a family. We say that we really want this church to feel like a family. Well, let me ask you this. How does it work in your family? In our family, in theory, everyone jumps in and helps, right? It would not work if it was just like, I am the sole person doing everything for everybody, right? I come home, I cook everything, I get all the groceries, I make all the money, I clean everything up, I provide everything. After a while, what would happen? Some of you moms are like, tell me that it, that's not what I do every day. <laughs> there have been a few times that I've gone to my children and said, I'm so happy you think this is a resort. <laughs> but that is not what, how this works. So I'm going to need y'all to do some dishes and take out some garbage, right? In your house, how does it work with a family? Everybody does their part. 
If we're going to be a family, that means we're all going to chip in and do part of it, right? We share responsibilities. We contribute funds. We take care of details. We clean it up. We make it a pleasant place to be. We cook food and wash dishes and participate in the building of our home. And it's the same with this church family. We need all of us to participate in the building of this family. And it takes resources and volunteers and leaders and workers to make everything function and work. Now let me say this, maybe you are new and you're just checking this out. We don't expect you to jump in and take out the garbage, okay? But after a while, when you decide you're in the family, there comes a change where if you are a part of the family, we want you to jump in and help, right? There also will come seasons when, man, you are just going through it. You are going through something hard. Maybe you're sick. Let's say that I broke my arm. I don't think anybody in my house is going to go, well, we still expect you to do everything. They're going to go, okay, you know what? Mom, mom's off the books for a little bit. We're all going to kind of pick up other stuff and help. So if you're going through a hard time or something, in no way, shape, or form do we think, come on, get back to work. We care way more about you than that. But I'm just saying... There's a whole lot of people going to churches that are just consuming and not giving. Stats will tell us that 20% of the people in churches do 80% of the work. So that means there's a very small group of people participating. And at Homestead, we just just want us to be a family. Not because we just want you to work, but because when you are a part of this thing, And we're in the family. This is how families operate. We all chip in, and we all help out, and we all work together, right? Oh, that was very weak, right? Yes. And I'm here today to say we can't build this without you. We can't build this without you. And I will tell you, this is one of our core fundamental beliefs. There are lots of churches that just start hiring people to do everything. We're going to hire full-time child care workers. We're going to hire full-time... That's never going to be the way that we operate this church because we believe Ephesians 5 says that the work of the leaders of the church is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. You're our family. You are just as qualified as anybody else to teach a class or to welcome somebody or to sit and pray with somebody. And we want to see you grow in all of those gifts. And it only will work if we all jump in together and work together, right? So I want to ask you today, how are you participating in the building of the kingdom of God? Let's talk big picture. How are you representing Christ out there in the world? How are you doing in building your little section of the wall that God has assigned to you? Are you sharing your faith? Are you showing the love of Christ in tangible ways to those who do not yet know Jesus? And then in the smaller picture, if you are a part of this family, At Homestead, how are you helping build this family? Because we need you. Find a place to serve. Start giving. Be a contributor. We cannot build it alone. But all of us together can build something really beautiful for the kingdom of God if we all work together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Because building requires that everyone does their part. And the last portion of this story I want to look at is found in chapter 4. And I think it's a perfect example of why it's so important to build in community. And it's this. We build together so that we can fight together. You notice it's not we build together so we can fight each other. It's not that. We build together so that we can fight together. Because in chapter 4, something happens. 
They've been building, but it starts to get really hard. They get about halfway done. It says that they actually, in verse 6, that they have gone all the way around, but they're about halfway up. So they're really literally building the whole thing at once, and it's going up. And they get about halfway done, and their uh, enemies begin to come and taunt them and oppose them. Here's what it says in, chapter, in verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, Ashtarites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. So they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. And meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. So the Jews who live near the enemy came and told us again and again, they're coming from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall and the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. So you see they're halfway done and the people, they get tired. They're weary. They've been working really hard and there comes a moment that they get tired. They get discouraged. And then they have outright attacks coming at them. They have people opposing them, people coming after them. And so what do they do? They literally stick together and they literally have each other's backs. So while half of them are building, half of them are standing next to them with a sword ready to fight off the enemy. Isn't that a cool picture? As soon as they hear this, they begin to support one another, stand with one another, fight off the enemy together. They encourage one another. We read that in verse 14 that Nehemiah stops and goes, hey, I know you're tired, but it's gonna be okay. We're gonna do this. Remember that God is with us. They encourage one another with their words and their actions. He says, don't be afraid. Remember, God is fighting for us. And then they stood next to each other and had each other's backs. And here's my favorite part of the story in verse 19. It says, then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, Rush to wherever it is sounding, and then our God will fight for us. Can you just picture this? This people, they're tired, they're weary, they're scared, and they're all spread out all around this wall, but they've got a trumpet. And if somebody comes to start with mess with them, they will sound the trumpet, and all their friends and all their community from all around the wall will drop what they're doing and run to go help the person who's under attack. Isn't that the best picture you've ever seen of what it means to be in the family of God, right? That when we are in trouble, that we can literally just sound the alarm and say, I need help. And that when we're in a family, we're like, I've got your back, I'm coming, right? Because this is a great picture of why it's so important that you are in community. Because you are going to face obstacles in your life. You are going to be in seasons where things are hard. You are going to face opposition. And the most amazing thing is that when you find yourself in a situation where things are hard, 
when you are building in community, you just sound the alarm. And we're going to come, and we're going to run to you, and we're going to help you. Right? Isn't that a beautiful thing? I was thinking about this. Many of you know my dad passed away earlier in January. And we had gotten through the funeral and everything, and I was going to go back to work. And I remember waking up the day I was supposed to go back to work, and I went, I don't know if I can do this. I just felt so overwhelmed and exhausted and defeated, and I just couldn't even begin to sort through all my feelings. And I had gotten up early, and I was praying, and I was reading my Bible, and I literally just thought, I can't do this. You ever had a moment, and you're like, I just can't do this. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sound the trumpet. So I picked up my phone, and I texted four or five of my friends that I know love me, love the Lord, have got my back, and I literally just said, like, I can't do this. I'm falling apart. I don't think I can do this. And wouldn't you know, immediately they came running. Started with, I'm praying for you. Here's a scripture verse. We've got your back. What do you need? And then after I read all those, I thought, okay. And I got ready, and I got in my car, and I got to work. And then a few of the friends that were on that text thread from work showed up in my office first thing. All right, let's pray. Let's get through your day. And then they said, okay, we're going to have lunch. I'm going to come get you in an hour, and we're going to get through this first day together, and we're going to do it. And I'm like, okay, thank you. And I was literally going hour by hour. And then I have a friend. Man, she always sends crumble cookies when I'm having the worst day. (laughs) I mean, nothing says the family of God like sending cookies when you just don't think you're going to make it, right? And by the time I got through my day and I got home, I was like, I did it. I did it. But did I do it by myself? Not a chance. It was literally minute by minute, my people coming around me and holding me up. And some of you are trying so hard to rebuild your life. And you're trying to do it alone. And there is no reason for you to do it alone because we've got you. And we love you. And you're our family. And we want you to know that when you need us, we will be there for you. And this is why it's important to build in community. And you know, I'm telling you, this day and age with technology, you can work at home alone, you can watch church at home alone, you can order your groceries alone, and some of us are so completely isolated that we are so vulnerable because when we are in trouble, we don't have anybody to come running when we sound the alarm. And this is why we say, come, find your people here, get in a group, go to the recovery meeting, go to the women's group, go to the men's group, go on that retreat, find people around you so that when you have moments where you think, I can't do this, that we can run around you and have your back while you're getting on your feet. This is why it is so important to build in community. Ecclesiastes 4 tells this concept beautifully. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And for many of you, your challenges have caused you to pull back 
and isolate, and you find yourself struggling to overcome the challenges you are facing, can I challenge you today? Reach out to your community. If you're having a hard time overcoming the enemy by yourself, remember God never designed us to fight alone. Sound the trumpet. Reach out for help. Show up for a group. Talk to somebody. Find your people so that we can all come and we can grow together. This is why God puts us in community, why he puts us in family. So as I wrap up today, I just think that it's important for us to take a minute and do the very thing we just talked about. Because I know that a lot of you are like me. You're going through some tough stuff. And sometimes it's easy to feel like, I feel like I'm going through this and I kind of feel all alone. And I kind of feel like I might not be strong enough to do it. And listen, when we come together as the body of Christ and when we come together on the weekends, we come together for a lot of different reasons. We come together to worship God and to sing and to disciple our kids and to hear the word of God. But let me tell you, one of the most important reasons you walked into this room today is so that you know that you are not alone. And you know that you have a family around you that have got your backs. And we have got your backs. And I don't know what you are facing. Maybe you're like some of the people and you're just like, I'm just exhausted. I'm just so tired. I'm so weary. Maybe you are facing outright attack from the enemy. You're trying to live for Christ. You're trying to walk in the ways he wants you. And you just feel like every single day you are fighting so hard against the enemy and you're trying to do it all alone and you need some brothers and sisters to come alongside of you and go we got your back we're gonna fight with you maybe you have a dream or a vision that God has put on your heart maybe you are totally rebuilding your life and you don't even know where to start listen there are brothers and sisters in this room that want to pray with you, that want to encourage you, that want to strengthen you, want to help you take the next steps in what God is doing in your life. So as we close today, I'm going to ask us all to stand. And if you are maybe going through something right now where you would say, yeah, I am, I'm going through something. I feel like I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm fighting, I'm battling. And I just need to know that I'm not alone today and I need somebody to pray for me. And you want to sound the trumpet, I would just encourage you to just raise your hand up today. Yeah. Raise your hand up today and just say, I, I'm sounding the trumpet. I'm just saying, I need somebody to stand with me. I need to know that I'm not alone. I need to know that God has got me. If you could just find the people around you that have your hands raised and we can gather around them and we're just going to say a prayer and we are going to just encourage them so you can put a hand on their shoulder can just surround them and pray for them we are going to stand together as the body of Christ and know that we are not alone amen so Lord we come to you right now and we thank you we thank you that the body of Christ was your idea that God in this life you chose to build your church so that we would always be surrounded by community that we would live our lives surrounded by people who are there to help us when we're weak, to help us when we feel like we can't make it. And God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for every person that raised their hand and maybe even for those today that didn't raise their hand, but they are feeling alone. They feel the enemy coming after them. In Jesus' name, God, we stand with them. 
the first thing we do is we push back the enemy. We just say, you don't get to come near them. We just declare, God, that you would push back the enemy, that you would help them overcome everything they've been battling, that they would have victory today in Jesus' name, that any plan of the enemy would be stopped. Lord, for those that are weary and tired, I thank you that your word says that you will renew their strength. And God, I am praying that you pour strength and hope and energy into those that are feeling hopeless and defeated and exhausted. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you have plans and purposes, that this is not the end, but that you are rebuilding a new life in every single one of these people. And God, as they move forward with what you have for them, you are going to walk with them. You're going to bring people beside them to help them. And Lord, I pray that us as a community would always have the mind of Christ to support one another in whatever is going on. Lord, may we honor you in the way we will love each other well. We thank you and we praise you. And everybody said, amen. Amen. We're so happy that you're here today. We're going to have some prayer teams up front. If there's something more that you would like prayer about, we'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.